Imagine, if you will, if you experienced a life-threatening accident. Not only that, one that would possibly require your leg being amputated, one that would require 34 different surgeries. And imagine going through all of that and coming out and saying, surgery was the easy part. Well, this is a story that we're going to hear today from the amazing Amberly Lago. She's an amazing podcast host, best-selling author, and so much more. She tells this powerful story of grit and grace, and I know you are going to love it, so stay tuned. Before we get to this fantastic conversation, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by my friends at Caldera Lab, named by GQ Magazine as the best natural face serum for men Caldera Labs The Good is made 100% from plants and is an amazing non-toxic skin care product. I personally use The Good every single day and it makes my skin look good, feel great, and look fresh. Plus, it smells fantastic. Now, for all guys and all skin types, whether you are tackling dry skin, you have acne scars or wrinkles, this is the one product you should use. Some cool news for listeners of the Best Thing Podcast, you can get 20%, yes, 20% off your first order of the good. All you have to do is head over to calderalab.com and use the discount code Antonio at checkout. Head over to calderalab.com, use the discount code Antonio and receive 20% off. All this information is in the show notes. Hey, as always, I would love to hear from you every single week. I send out fantastic text messages if you would like to receive them, and you should. Send me a text message right now at 310-564-7124. Once again, 310-564-7124. And without further ado, let's get to the Best Thing Podcast with my guest, Amberly Lago. Hey everyone, welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where I talk to people about the best thing to happen to them that doesn't include the traditional markers of success. I'm your host, Antonio Neves. I'm the author of Stop Living on Autopilot, a speaker and success coach. Each week, I bring on a new guest who has a powerful story to tell that will motivate, inspire, and help you see life through a new lens. I was introduced to this week's guest by my dear friend and a guest on this podcast, Mitch Matthews, and I'm so glad he connected us. Amberly Lago is a health and wellness coach, TEDx speaker, host of the True Grit and Grace podcast, and a leading expert in the field of resilience and transformation. She is the best-selling author of the amazing book, True Grit and Grace, and she empowers people around the world by sharing her story of how she turned a tragedy into triumph. Amberly offers hope and solutions for anyone like her who's living in chronic pain to live life to the fullest. Amberly and her story have been featured on NBC's The Today Show, the Hallmark Channel, and her story has been featured in top magazines, including Shape and Health. Amberly Lago, welcome to the Best Thing Podcast. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here with you. And I am so glad that Mitch introduced us because it's been such an amazing like friend, friendship 
And it started with me reading your book, Stop Living on Autopilot, which blew me away. And then you were so kind to send me a, a signed copy of your other book, What Every College Student Should Know, um, or 50 Things, right, that a college student should know for my daughter who's going into school. So I'm so grateful for you and so grateful to be here with you and your audience. So thank you for having me. Yeah, like I was so happy to share that book with you to share with your daughter. And it was amazing when I said, hey, let me, give me your address so I can send this to your daughter. You're like, no, let me know where I can buy it because I like to buy other authors' books. And I was just so happy to share that with your daughter who's off to, to Yale. She's going to have an amazing experience. And also just a little insider note for listeners right now. So this is round two for, for Amberly and I. We actually recorded a whole episode and had the most fantastic conversation. I shipped it off to the producers of this podcast and they came back to me and said, Antonio, there's nothing there. I was like, what are you talking about? So I'm just thankful for you for being willing to do this again. Listen, Amberly is busy in demand. So the fact that you're willing to do this again, I want to say thank you. Oh my goodness. Thank you. I'm telling you any excuse to get to talk to you again. I'm like, oh good. My reaction when you told me that it was, the file wasn't there. I'm like, oh good. Well then I'll get to talk to you again. Oh good. Yeah. I was embarrassed. I was like, damn it. How did, how did this happen? But you know what? It happened. So here we are connecting again. So let's start. You know, First, your book is amazing. I can't recommend it enough for people. The link is going to be in the show notes. One thing I really digged about the book is you talked about your upbringing in Texas, which for me, it sounds like a, a tough upbringing. Maybe I think it's interesting is when we're going through our upbringings, we don't know they're tough. They're just our childhood, right? But what I love about it is there were, you were really busy in your childhood with dance, also with track and field where you excelled. And I'm just curious if you could talk a bit about, you can talk a bit about your upbringing, but also about the importance of having somewhere to be. Like maybe when there's not a lot of structure in your life, when you have something on the calendar, dance practice, track and field practice, those meets, et cetera, how that can play a positive role in one's life. Oh, thank you for asking. Yeah. You know, I think it's so important for kids to have an outlet, to have somewhere to be, to have something to, for to look forward to. And for me, I didn't realize that growing up, how important it was for me, but it really was my go-to to dance and track. You know, uh, my mom was divorced and got remarried to a man who ended up sexually abusing me and was just awful, um, emotionally abusive. And so I didn't feel safe at home. And so I'm thankful that I had dance and I had track and I really feel like track, I became... I, my default was to do something that made me feel good. And so I got, I dove into school and I became a straight A student. I got on honor roll. I, I set a record in Texas for the mile, which was a big deal. Sports are huge in Texas. And so I think of if I didn't have track or dance and I, I practically lived at the dance studio too, I would go leave school early. I was the water girl for the tennis team because I was horrible at tennis. So the coach made me, he's like, why don't you just be water girl? Perfect. Because I could go fill up the cooler, give them water. And then I would leave school early and go straight to the dance studio. It just meant more time for me to be able to do what I loved, which was dance. And so I think about if I didn't have those things, what I may have gotten into, which would have, you know, maybe drugs, maybe alcohol, maybe abusive relationships. Um, and so I think it's so important that we have 
something to do, somewhere to be, and something that makes us happy, that brings us joy, that where we can express ourselves. And, you know, running track and using, you know, any fear or anger to win first place made me feel good. And so I just ran harder and practiced more. And um, I'm grateful for that experience because um, it taught me also that I had to stand up for myself. And when I did is when the abuse stopped. I, um, that's a, it's a tough kind of topic to talk about. I don't want to get too dark or anything, but I learned a lot from my childhood that growing up, maybe, you know, it wasn't the best and, you know, my mom did the best she could. Um, um, but I think that, you know, growing up like that, sometimes we're in, when we're in difficult situations, we can't see the good that maybe could come out of it. But I, I think my default is to find the good and go with the good that came out of it. For me, it taught me that I can take care of myself. I can take up for myself. I can use my voice to, um, say what I want and what's not right. And so that's what I did. That's what it took to stop the abuse. But I think that also as much as I love dance and I wanted to move to California to become a dancer, I think that just not having a safe place to live in Texas was really, it fueled me to go, Oh, well, there's no turning back. I've got to make it in LA because I don't have any other place to go because I refuse to live in a house like that. And I hate, it's hard to say that because my mom is, like I said, my mom is such an incredible mom and she didn't know that that was going on. And it's when you're being abused, it's such a shameful thing and you, it's hard to talk about and you don't want to tell. And I think, you know, I'm glad that there, there want, there's something good about social media now is that more people are talking about it and it's not this horrible, dark thing to talk about. More people are talking about it. And I think that's good when people can shed a light on that shame because that's what really, you know, takes it away so you can walk with dignity. And so, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It it can be normalized. You realize you're not the only one. I mean, come on, when we were kids, uh, even if you shared certain things, people would tell you to be quiet about it or, you know, it it was just amazing. I'll just say there's so many secrets and things to learn about my family during my childhood, things that people didn't, they didn't talk about that today blow me away. And I know there are different errors and different times and our parents were different. And I'm just so glad to your point today, people are willing to stand up for themselves. That's because of people like you who have been so brave and willing to share their story on a variety of things and some challenging times that you've experienced that people are indeed empowered to share their story. Just briefly for those adults that are listening, we're talking about kids the power of having something on the calendar. I do a lot of coaching and with the coaching I do with adults, I talk about what's on your calendar. Where do you have to be? And so many people I think are struggling. You know, don't get me wrong. The pandemic didn't help things because they don't have anywhere to be. They don't have anything on the calendar, whether it's a fitness class, a mastermind, you offer an amazing mastermind, uh, maybe an event on Saturday with friends. And those events make such a big difference to have on there, something to look forward to. This is a bit of a transition for you. Could you just brief, briefly talk about what it means? <laughs> I'm smiling over here. What it means to be from Texas. Everyone I know from Texas, I feel like they love that they are from Texas. I feel like they're tough in many ways. Of course, these days it's hard not to hear 
uh, Matthew McConaughey everywhere on, on the web talking about Texas. But for you, what did being raised in Texas instill in you? I feel like it's just different when someone comes from Texas. You know what? It's so funny because I think anybody that you asked that was like born and raised in Texas, they would all say the same thing that, yes, there's something special about being raised in Texas. And when you meet somebody from Texas and like if I'm out and I meet somebody from Texas, it's an instant like bond. Like, yes, we're on the same team. We're from Texas, you know, Um, but where I was raised, it was kind of a culture shock when I moved to California because I was raised that when you give somebody your word, that's all you need. Like you, you have integrity, you have values. And when you say you're going to do something, you do it. When you say you're going to show up, you know, talking about um, having some place to be, I think that growing up a, a dancer and if we were five minutes late, we did not get to perform in the show. So we had to give our word that we were going to show up and be somewhere. And if we weren't, we had consequences. And that wasn't so fun to, to learn those lessons, but it taught me a lot. And growing up in Texas, running track, man, we, we ran in the Texas heat. It was like 100 degrees, 100% humidity. And I learned toughness from my track coach, who was brutal. She would be like, I'd be like, I'm going to throw up. She's like, I don't care if you're going to throw up, throw up off the track and then keep running. She was also a coach that would come pull me out of science class and be like, Amberly, we're depending on you to get us to district. Okay. You've got to do this. And so it was like the, the pressure, you know, um, sports are big in Texas. Um, I think that I grew up in the Bible belt where I went to church every Sunday Um, so, you know, it's, God is big. If you didn't go to Sunday school, you better be on your deathbed. Hold on a second. Did you, did you drive a pickup truck? You know, I just sold my truck. I've always had a truck and I sold my truck and got a car right before the pandemic. And I was like, cause I'm doing so much driving. And can I tell you, I didn't have just any pickup truck. I had an F-250, huge, long bed. Big old truck and driving into Beverly Hills to find parking. You should see when I would pull up to like the fancy hotels, they would look at me and my truck's usually dirty from being at the barn and they would look at me. I'm like, yep, I want you to valet this puppy. And they're like, it won't fit in the structure. I'm like, oh, you're going to have to park it out in front with those fancy cars. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I love that Texas upbringing. Uh, Listen, my dream truck. It's funny. People in California have all these fancy cars. I have neighbors with all these amazing cars. All I want is an F-150 Raptor and I'll be, a, I'll be a happy man. I can't wait to make that happen sometime soon. I'm curious, how much did your Texas upbringing, you know, you talk about those integrity, integrity value standards, how much did that show up, you know, with your raising uh, your daughter? Uh, it's interesting, you know, we, we think about our, our upbringings, but then how much, you know, what we experience, you know, the, the toughness, how much that shows up in our parenting. So, whether there are other key things from your childhood you ensured that you wanted to uh, instill in your kids? Oh, for sure. Values, for sure. Integrity. And you know what? A big thing for me is um, communication with my kids so they know that they can talk to me about anything and everything. And I think that's really big because, um, you know, my mom was really busy working a few jobs at once sometimes, sometimes like four jobs at once. I didn't have that time to really connect 
connect and talk to her about import like important things. She was busy and my dad the same. And so I want to make sure as, you know, packed as my schedule can be that my kids know that they can talk to me about anything and everything. But manners are big for me too. Like really big. I'm <laughs> I'm really glad you said I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm just so glad you said that because I think I'm I'm from Michigan. And by the way, I'm a track and field guy. That's how I paid for college doing being a track and field athlete. That has nothing to do with nothing. But I'm so glad you said manners because I feel like I'm crazy sometimes when I'm out and about at restaurants and doing things and I don't see folks or parents instilling and requiring certain manners, whereas we do at our table. But I'm like, oh, yeah. have I been lost? What's happening? Why, why aren't these manners being instilled? And I, I can't speak for everyone, obviously. I feel the same way. And, you know, um, we had a, a friend out to dinner and when Ruby, my daughter, my 13, she just turned 13. Every time she orders, she said, may I please have an iced tea? And when the waiter or waitress brings over something, she says, thank you. And we were out with someone else. And the little girl was like, give me a Coke and doesn't say thank you. And first of all, I used to wait tables and it's a hard job. I mean, it's tough. And I think everybody should have had to wait tables at one point in their life because it would give you an appreciation for just all they do with taking orders and and all that goes on with dealing with the cooks, especially if you've got a cranky cook and, you know, and so I'm big on manners and, and making sure my kids are too and treating everyone equally and with kindness. And, um, you know, we had a situation where we had someone that was not being so nice and they were talking bad about other people. And I told my husband, I said, you know, that's not where I want our daughter to grow up around that situation where there's drama and gossip and, and some things that aren't quite nice. I, not that we can protect them from every single thing like that. And they get to decide what they're going to do. You know, we can lay, you know, try to do our best to be the best parent and show them by example, but also let them have that, you know, have the communication and kind of let them decide for themselves, which is tough. But, you know, my youngest being a teenager, it's getting to that time where I'm starting to have to let her make those decisions. And I just hope that I've done uh, an okay job letting her know that, you know, stick to your values and your standards and know what those things are to help you make good decisions. 100%. When in doubt, stick to your standards and values. If you don't know what they are, make some time to identify them so you know what is non-negotiable in your life. So you're not negotiating in real time some really, really big decisions. In my book, 50 Things Every College Student Should Know, there's a chapter specifically about why you should get a job in the service industry. Just like you, I've worked as a server, bartender, you name it. And I dare say, in all the amazing career experiences I've had over the course of my life in New York City, in Stockholm, in Miami, all these amazing places I've worked, I've learned so much, to your point, uh, about of working in the service industry uh, with communication breakdowns, people mm-hmm. getting mad at you because it's not, but it's not your fault. Having to problem solve, creative thinking, you name it. Hey, just briefly before we get to this question of of, of the best thing, I did want to ask you, and I, and I want to. A lot of people are coming out of this pandemic, Amberly, and 
they're going to be making some transitions. People realize they don't want to go back to what they were doing previously. They want to start a brand new chapter. So I want to hear your take, maybe your advice on that, only because I know at a point in your life, you had a very successful career, you know, in California, working as a dancer, doing acting, et cetera. And you made a really strong pivot to transition away from that to become to work in the fitness field as a trainer, instructor. We have tons of private, private client base, et cetera. That was a big pivot. I'm just curious for those people that may be considering making that transition. uh, What would you say to them and things you've learned when you made pivots like that? Well, first of all, always think about before I do anything, if I think what brings me joy, what can I do that brings me joy and it adds value to other people and how can I make that work to, you know, hopefully make some money and keep a roof over my head. And so when I transitioned into the fitness industry, I really thought about, you know, I didn't want to, I wanted to finish my career as a dancer strong. I worked with a lot of dancers who were bitter and old and like, old being 30, which is so young, but in the dance world, that was getting up there. You know, I was 18 dancing with dancers that were 30 and they were like tired and broken. They felt broken. Their bodies worked hard. And I thought, I don't want to be like, they were resentful. And I thought, I don't want to end up like that. I want to finish at the top of my game in the dance field and transition into something that I love. And so I thought about what can I do that really brings me joy? And I thought, well, I like helping people. I love to work out. I rehabbed my own knee after a meniscus tear in the gym. Then I thought, well, maybe I could be a physical therapist. And then I looked at the schooling that that took and I was like, oh, that's going to take way too long. I want to do something where I can work with people, but I get to be my own boss. And so I thought, hey, fitness trainer, I could do that. So when I went to school to do that, I also, I mean, when I go all in, And I think that that's the thing when you're transitioning into anything, you have to love it. Mm. You really have to love it. And I think that for, for me, I've been lucky to do things that I really love, but if you don't love it, you're not going to wake up every day wanting to do it. And can you uh, just rump because you're talking about loving it. Cause I, I see a lot of people sometimes make these transitions solely for the financial value for the dollars and cents it's going to provide. But if I'm hearing you correctly, even after a matter of time, even if it brings in more revenue, if you're not loving it, you're probably going to reach a point of burnout or get bitter. As you mentioned earlier, would you agree? Oh, Oh, for sure. And I mean, when I transitioned into being, you know, a speaker and a coach after I wrote my book, I did so many. I mean, I can't even count the many, how many events that I did for free. I made no money and I didn't get into it. I honestly, I didn't write my book to make money. I wrote my book because it brought me joy. I didn't really get into speaking. I didn't even know you could have a career as a speaker. And then I just kept doing it because I loved it and it brought me joy. And then lo and behold, I started getting bigger gigs and on more stages and and speaking with incredible speakers, you know, sharing the stage with Mel Robbins and Brenda Burchard and Lewis Howes and and Ed Milet, these legends, you know, and I was like, oh my gosh, I get to share the stage with them. And one thing led to another. And, but if I didn't love it, I wouldn't have felt like, flying across the country to go speak at an event for free out of that cost me money. 
But I also think it's important to say that I did other things that I didn't love as much because I was focused on if I do these things that I don't love as much, it's going to give me the money to do the thing that I really want to do. So that meant for me, transitioning into the fitness, I had a waitressing job that I couldn't stand. I would get, I I would dread going to this job. The management was mean. The cooks were grumpy. The people were snooty, but I did it because I had to make money until I could build my clientele up with my fitness. But I remember putting in my notice for that waitressing job, going to the gym and saying, I'm all in. I need more clients because I don't have my waitressing job anymore. And I think sometimes we have to like put a little pressure on ourselves to make something happen. Um, Otherwise we can kind of get in this comfort zone of, well, but I'm really doing okay. I mean, I can make a living like this, but you are spot on. You're spot on putting the pressure on ourselves. That that could be a date. That could be some non-negotiables, you name it. When you, when you're talking about the, the waitressing job, it made me think about something our friend Mitch Matthews said uh, to me a long time ago, and I'll never forget it. And he said, a, a dream job is a job that you absolutely love or a job that allows you to do what you love. So right now, a lot of people, there may be some jobs that you don't like, that you're not really happy with. But the question begs, if that if you reframe how you look at that job and realize, I don't quote unquote love this job, but it's a dream because it actually allows me to do what I want to do and what I want to pursue, whether that's in the evenings, whether that's in the weekends, weekends, I find people find a new appreciation for the job that they may have previously Hated. We could go down that trail for a long time, but I do want to get to this question because you've had such an amazing life and story. And I mean, again, I can't highly, I highly recommend her book, but I want to get to this question of the best thing of one of the best things that have happened to you over the course of your life uh, that has had a profound effect on, on who you are and how you show up today. And what, what I've always found fascinating about this question, Amberly, is nine times out of 10 in over what, 70 plus episodes, when people answer this question, when it was going on for them, whatever they share, it wasn't the best thing while it was happening, but it ended up becoming something that had a positive impact on their life. So I'm curious for you, what, what, what's, I have an idea, what, but what is one of those things? Well, yeah, I think it's crazy to say, but if I think about it, the thing that has led me to where I am today, who has a, what's allowed me to meet amazing people like you and get to be here and talk with you on your incredible podcast is, is the fact that, you know, cause I was pretty comfortable as a, as a trainer, I was doing fitness videos. I was nationally recognized. I had several employees that worked for me. I, I loved my job, but that all changed, you know, when I was hit by an SUV while riding my motorcycle home from work. And you know, I woke up out of a coma in the hospital and doctors, the first thing they said was, well, you've got a 1% chance of saving your leg from amputation. We're going to have to go ahead and, and amputate. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is my livelihood. My running was my drug of choice. I was doing fitness videos. I did just did a fitness infomercial with Body by Jake. I was in Shape Magazine. How can you amputate my leg? What am I going to do? And I'm like, wait a minute. 1%. Well, I'm going to take that 1% chance. And that's, that was really my glimmer of hope. And 
I didn't, I couldn't see that this was a good thing throughout this because it was hell. It was hell going through what ended up being 34 surgeries to save my leg from amputation. But, and, and a lot of times, you know, when you're in a really tough situation, when you're in a mess or you're in the middle of adversity or chaos or, or whatever big challenge you're going through, it's hard to see that there's something good that could ever possibly come out of this situation. I mean, I lost my career. I lost my confidence. I'm scarred from the hip down. I was told I'd be wheelchair bound for the rest of my life. I had a doctor say, you know, you're never going to work again. Had another doctor say, well, you'll never wear shorts again with all those scars. And I thought, you know what? It's up to us. We get to choose what we do with our life. Yeah, we can't always choose what happens in our life, but we get to choose how we respond to things and, and what perspective we take. And so that Tell was actually... I'm sorry to interrupt. You mentioned 34 surgeries, but I want to ask you something you mentioned in your book that really stood out to me. And I was like, whoa, again, you were talking about 34 surgeries at some point in your book, Amberly, you said surgery was the easy part. Could you tell me about that? Oh, yeah. A lot of people have fear of surgery. And you know what? That understandably, you think, oh, what if I never wake up out of anesthesia or whatever, you know? But for me, the surgery was the easy part because I, there was a fear of how bad is it going to hurt when I wake up because sometimes I hurt really bad. The pain meds didn't work or the block that they did on my leg. And now let me tell you, my leg was completely exposed. And when I got transferred to the next hospital, it was only held together by these metal rods called a, called a halo into my leg. And so every time my leg would move, it was like, re-breaking my leg all over again. So the nurses would lift my leg up. They had to change my bandages every three hours. And you could see the inside of my leg. And the easy part was surgery because they put me under anesthesia mm. and I could feel no pain. So it wasn't until I woke up and I had to go through the process of them picking up my leg and it was like re-breaking my leg all over again. Um, and changing those bandages. And, and the hard part too was getting home. I remember I had a friend of mine come over. She was another trainer that worked with me. And she goes, well, you'll never be a trainer again. What are you going to do? And I just burst into tears and I'm like, well, what am I going to do? And so it was a long process. I'm talking like four years of in and out of the hospital and in and out of a wheelchair and a walker and crutches and you know, I remember my husband still reminds me of this. I fell down the stairs three times, actually, because I wasn't so good with crutches. One time I fell down the stairs and busted a hole in the wall. I was okay. Another time I fell down the stairs and broke my wrist. So I had to use crutches, but I had a broken wrist. Wow. I was a mess. So going under surgery was like, okay, at least we know she's safe. She's not falling downstairs. She's not causing any problems, you know, so it was safe for my husband too. <laughs> this is amazing to hear. And one, I just love, just wait till you go to Amberly's social media, her Instagram and see the recovery that she has made. And, you know, I know you still suffer from some chronic pain. Maybe we'll talk about that here in a second. But as you're talking, Amberly, what's going through my mind is people, 
be careful with your words. Just the, just hearing you say that a doctor said to you, well, you'll never wear shorts again. Come on, people. Be careful with your words. A friend saying to you during a, tra- a challenging time, well, I guess you're going to never be a tra- trainer again. Like the, I know people, I don't think in the moment they mean harm, but I'm just going to invite people right now. Somebody's going through something challenging to take a deep breath before you share what you share, because you may be just pouring salt on on the wound. Two things I want to bring up that that really stood out to me in the book. I mean, a lot stood out to me, by the way, not just two things. But one is you mentioned earlier being when you're transitioned to another hospital. The reason why, if I'm correct, you were transitioning to the other hospitals because you and your husband were willing to advocate for yourself. Amberly's in a moment, I'm sorry to tell your story, but Amberly was in a moment when essentially they were telling you, we have to amputate this leg. But somebody, I'm not sure if it was you or your husband, basically said, hold up. I'm about to find the best doctor in LA who can handle this. So can you talk a bit about being willing to advocate for yourself even during challenging times? You really do have to advocate for yourself. And I can't say that's enough because doctors mean well, I'm sure, but we have to stand up for ourselves. And I think that, you know, while I was in a coma and my husband was like, Oh, don't amputate her leg. Wait till she's out of a coma. I want that to be her decision. Don't do it. Let that be her decision. And so when I woke up and they told me I had a 1% chance, I thought, well, then there's still a chance. Let's find a doctor. And let me tell you, that was really tough. We had to pull a lot of strings. Um, My husband called one of his best friends who was a surgeon who happened to know of a trauma specialist who called him. And it um, it took about a week. And the thing that was so hard about that is if we didn't take action fast enough, the bone starts to die. And so you know, it was like such a timeline and so so much pressure. And yeah, we got transferred and Dr. Don Wiss, who I was just thinking about yesterday because I was looking through some old pictures. I love this man. And he, I will never forget, I got transferred on a Sunday and they told me he doesn't work on Sunday. So he's going to come in and see you on Monday morning. And I was in the hospital room by myself and this guy walks in with a, a tan blazer and his name tag said D Wiss. And I looked at him. I said, Oh, you're the man that's going to save my leg. I get emotional. And just think about it. And he said, well, I don't know. We're going to do our best to put it all together. We're going to go in and clean all this up real quick tomorrow morning. Okay. And I grabbed onto his hand and I was just like, Thank you. And it was just like, it reminds me of that one person. All you need is like one person to like believe in you a little bit, to tell you, you know what, you got this, or we're going to, we're going to do our best for you. Or, and so I think it's really important to understand that when you're, you know, somebody that's going through a hard time, your kindness, your words, you're holding their hand, you just holding space for them, a quick phone call, a text message. Oh my goodness. That means so much. And it carries you through so much. Now, 
First, I mean, my eyes were watering as you were sharing that. And I have to ask, maybe you'll be able to tell this better than me because it's your story. I recall a moment in the book, Amberly, where I'm not sure if this was years after the surgery or nearby, but you talk about a moment when you encountered a doctor. And I'm curious if this is the same doctor that when you pulled out your leg or shared your leg with him, he was the first person Um, that didn't. You tell the story, please. Yeah, that's Dr. Wiss. Dr. Wiss, um, I had actually gone in to the hospital because I had this brilliant idea. I mean, it had been like a year after the accident. And I don't know, I was probably on numbers, maybe surgery like 26 or something. I can't remember the. I was in between. I wasn't up to 34 yet. And I went in, I had this idea that, you know what, we've given it all our best. We've given it a good try. And it just, it's, this leg isn't working properly. It gives me so much pain. I was diagnosed with complex regional pain syndrome. And my solution was, well, let's just cut it off. Let me cut my losses. Let's cut off the leg. I got things to do. I got places to be. We need to just move on with life. And I went into Dr. Wiss and said, I've got this idea. This leg just doesn't work properly. Let's just go ahead and amputate. He said, we can't do that. He said, you've got CRPS and the pain could get worse. It could spread. And then he did something that really changed my mindset. It changed my life. He sat down in front of me. And he put my leg in his lap. And you know what? I mean, the first thing I thought, Antonio, was he put my ugly leg on his nice white coat. Oh, my goodness. You know, usually they'll put your leg up on the table. He put it in his lap and he looked at it like it was a masterpiece. Like, this is the miracle leg, the 1%. And we saved it. And my eyes welled up with tears and I thought, oh my goodness, look at how he looks at my leg. Well, maybe if I can learn to look at it like that, then maybe I can start to love it again. Maybe I can start to accept it. And something shifted in me and little by little every day, I started looking at my leg differently. I started looking at it with gratitude for, yes, it's deformed. Yes, my ankle's fused. Yes, you know, it doesn't, it looks like it was, you know, torn up by a shark, (laughs) but it's healing every day. It carries me. I walk, I went on a hike today, Hmm. a six mile hike with my girlfriend. She's a beast. She nearly, I was like, Oh girl, we got to hold up my leg. I'm not sure my leg's going to carry me much further, but I'm grateful. And I think gratitude is alchemy and it really shifts the way you look at things. And it, it shows you, all that you do have instead of what you don't have. Yeah. What a beautiful reminder of the power of belief that when we pour into others and we believe into others, the profound effect it can have on them. Right. And I can think many times in my life when I didn't have it for myself, how someone else believing in me, the way he talked to you and looked at you taught me to believe in myself and in the same in the same way. So, Hey, y'all listening, believe in others, say the words out loud. If you're feeling something good, if someone needs encouragement, I think this is going to be the last question that I have for you. And, and you mentioned how he looked at your leg like it was a miracle, right? He was proud. Of, by the way, he's proud of his work. He's worked hard. Like he was committed. Oh my God, he put my right. leg in his book. Right, in, in his book. And he said he's looked at your leg like it was a miracle and in your book. And I'm going to give you, let you end with this. There's something you share in your book that is just so amazing that so many people need to hear right now, especially those 
who are maybe going through a, ch- a challenging season of their life. Amberly, you said something to the tune of don't give up before the miracle. Mm-hmm. You know, I think when times are tough and it's hard and you're struggling, and I was in that place where I, I mean, there was a point after a lot of surgeries that I was ready to give up. Mm-hmm. It was a dark place. I didn't have hope. I lost my hope. And I think that we all have this light inside of us. And sometimes it's barely a flicker, but we have to find ways to keep that light burning bright. And I think that what changed for me is when I asked for help. I admitted that I was really struggling and asked for help. I I don't know why. I felt like nobody would understand what I was going through. I didn't want to be a burden. I did, you know, all these things and all these stories that I told myself when I realized there's so many people out there that are going through something similar, you know, and we're going through a hard situation and we're ready to give up. Don't give up before the miracle because it's about to get a whole lot better. And if we just take a look at where we are, reach out for help, do what we can life gets so much better. And so I I would say if you can take anything from, from our talk is like, really, you know, transformation is possible and hope is available. And it's really, it starts with you and it starts with you reaching out and sharing what you're going through, asking for help if you need it and being of service, however you can, because when you're of service, It takes your mind off of, you know, self-pity or that your life sucks, that you're like, oh, this person is going through so much. Let me help them. And it's the gift that you give yourself. So I I just wanted to, to mention that, too, that being of service is one of the things that really helped me get through some tough times. What amazing reminders for all of us to be of service, to believe in others. Yes, transformation can be messy, yet it still can lead to miracles on the other side, maintaining that hope. Amberly Lago, look, I can't thank you enough for this rich conversation. I I can't front. I I was, it's been a a beautiful day here, but a long day. And I was a little bit fatigued coming into this. And now I feel like I had some coffee because you've empowered me with your words, with your spirit, with your grit, with your grace, to use some of your words. So thank you for joining me on this episode, for inspiring me and, of course, the listeners. Thank you so much. This has been such an honor. Thank you. Hey, listen, for more information on me and the Best Thing Podcast, just head over to my website at theantonionevs.com. There you can also sign up to read the first chapter of my best-selling book, Stop Living on Autopilot, or receive five questions that can change your life. You can receive both of those things absolutely for free. All I need is your email address. Okay, if you haven't followed the Best Thing podcast already, please make sure you do that now. And while you're at it, please go ahead and give us a five-star review. Believe it or not, it goes a long way to help spread the word. I want to thank you in advance for doing that, and thank you again for listening. I will see you back here next week with another amazing episode. In the meantime, remember that the best is ahead. When you work and believe like the best is ahead, things begin to change for the better.
never forget you have a say in this.